Hey everyone, welcome to The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, and today we have my friend and filmmaker, William Eubank, on the show with us. William and I discuss his journey from constructing sets and props in his parents' backyard to directing big-budget feature films in the Hollywood system. William discusses his love of music and how it keeps him creatively balanced and how important it is to constantly be learning new things. We talk a bit about how he finds a way to balance the chaos of making films and finding ways to extract as many powerful moments in his production as possible. This is a long time podcast in the making. It's taken nearly three years to come to fruition, but now it is here and we hope you all enjoy it. So let's begin everyone. Episode 182 with William Eubank. Let's roll. Thank you. First and foremost, I know you have a very busy life. And um, this has been one of the makings since I saw your film Signal. I've been, after I saw your film Signal, I was like, wow, who made this? I really need to talk with this person. And I was like, I really love to have them on the podcast. So (laughs) cool. I think sometimes people, um, fans of the podcast, really don't know how long these things do take to manifest and and, and happen. So it's been a couple of years now, I think. Uh, Yeah, since the Signal, you mean? Yeah. See, it was about three been, years ago, huh? Yeah, almost. Uh, I mean, since production, it's like four, almost five years. It's so crazy how fast sure. time goes. Yeah, it's, but, um, it's a while ago. And I remember, and what's cool is like we've done things since then together professionally and worked together, which is really awesome as well. Um, <laughs> for sure. I was just thinking about you the other day and I just, I, I figured, you know what, you never know if you don't ask so i just pinged you and i said hey can you come on the podcast can we do a podcast together and uh here we are i'm really appreciate it so thank you no dude it's really cool i, I appreciate you having me and uh i i honestly i don't really listen to too many podcasts unfortunately so i was like what the heck ash is a freaking podcast so this is awesome yeah it's, it's a it's one of these things um just working from home i become somewhat like I don't know, like uh, get somewhat creative cabin fever. So having the podcast is a really great way for me to communicate with people that I admire and talk with them about their process and just kind of get a little bit more, just know a little bit more about the people that I work with or um, people that are doing really great things and stuff. So yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, podcasts are really great. They're, when you find a really great one, it's 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 like yeah, you can just lock onto it because it's like having these really great conversations. But sure, um, I'll sure. send you some if you're ever interested. And there's a couple really good ones that I think you'd enjoy. So awesome, yeah, for sure. I it's funny because right now, just since we're in post on my current project, project you know you worked on with me, um, I have like a commute, <laughs> and so I should be <laughs> often. I'll just like put my phone to the side, but I'll put it on like YouTube things that I watch and whatnot. So yeah. So I'll basically listen to YouTube as I drive. <laughs> what do you find yourself watching or listening to on YouTube? Right now, just like a lot of music stuff. Hmm. Like I'll either listen to music off YouTube on my phone, which is super random, or I'll um, be like listening to stuff about making music or, you know, sometimes I'll listen to like blogs and different YouTube channels on films and stuff like that. But um, nothing too specific. I'm always jumping around, I guess. Same. I think that's what makes YouTube so great. It's become a really quite awesome. Honestly, I've been really kind of blown away by how it's kind of keeps you in its own little content loop. It's taken a long time, but it's gotten gotten to the point where it's it kind of can keep you in your little bubble of what you're interested in for longer than it used to, at least. 
and people are making yeah. better content every day. I think they're, it's just getting better and better, um, which is awesome. It's, it's a good segue, actually, because um, I know you really enjoy music. And um, I'm more or less curious because I love music as well. I'm a musician as well. And I love, I think, I think of them like music and art and science and math. I don't see divisions between them personally. I'm curious to you and like, how do you kind of go through, you know, finding interests and then putting your time towards them and, and, and kind of, you know, navigating those things because it all comes down to how much time you put in these things, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. I mean, I think with me specifically, especially since my projects, you know, these films take so long and you're just buried in them for so long that always having some outside creative hobby thing that you like noodling with or learning about specifically for me, it's always like my hobbies are always basically learning and trying to gather information so I can sort of do them better or find new ways to experiment in them. But I'm always trying to, um, I guess find outlets from the stuff I'm working on. So specifically right now I've been in this project for almost three years so to then on the side be making music and doing stuff like that is is a lot of fun for me just to kind of get my brain clear of certain things. And even though, especially right now, I think in the music world, a lot of the, you know, whether it's like design of the piece you're working on musically or looking at visual representations, there's a lot of overlap, you know, but it's, yeah. music to me is just such a cool escape just because it's like short and and I can work on something for a couple of weeks and be done with something versus, you know, three <laughs> years. So Yeah. The, 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 the journey of making a film is, is, it's, it's like an odyssey. It's crazy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and yeah. it's really emotional too, oftentimes because you're like, you're telling a story that usually will go up and down and, and it's weird to meditate on a story for like three years, you know, yeah, it's a weird yeah, I mean, like, you really do. And so music is a way to like, almost like come up for, you know, a breath of air here and there and, hmm. and whatnot. And I don't know, I, it's funny, like as soon as the movie, this movie is over, I'll probably lean back into doing a lot more visual design stuff as I get ready for the next movie, hmm. um, which will probably include going back to school on some different 3D program things I want to learn and <laughs> um, I don't know. Always learning, you know. <laughs> I, that's yeah. That's the one thing I really admired about you because we, when we were working together, we talked quite a bit, and you were constantly learning, which I thought was fascinating. I think that's a testament. I, I just love that. I think it's so important. And the people that I find that I connect with most are constantly learning, no matter who they are, what age they are, at what point in their life they are. They're constantly learning. Um, that driving force, and I totally connect with you on the music aspect. I think it's um, having music. Is I think uh, I, I also like it's very enforced by like Einstein, for example, when he would get deep into his theories and lost in all these kind of, you know, the abstract of the, the mathematics that he was formulating. He would go and pick up like the violin and jam on it. He wasn't the world's best from what I re remember reading. But at the same time, he, yeah. he would basically allow his brain to rest itself in like certain parts and then open up to the other ones. So when he came back to it, he had this like flood of influx that would kind of create spontaneous um, things. And I think it's a testament to just how we're created and how it's how important it is to, I mean, I don't know if you're like me, I'm very stubborn. So like I must <laughs> solve the problem. 
you know? Yeah. Are you headstrong yeah. like that? You seem to have a really good base. I mean, the whole time we were together, you were under extreme pressure and you were just kind of like, ah, you know, just got to keep going. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you had a I very think, positive outlook. This is, this is yeah. Great. Yeah. I, you know, it's true. I don't know. I don't know if I'm stubborn, but I'm, I'm pretty, I think I have a pretty good internal sort of barometer of, of like, what are the big steps that have to be taken or cleared in order to like move forward. And I think that I'm good at usually letting certain things go in sort of essence of achieving the final result that you want. Um, and sometimes like it's really crazy to even talk about that musically often, especially when you're making something, sometimes the sounds can t sort of take you away and you get lost in the, in the details of like trying to make some synth thing or some arpeggiated thing, whatever the heck it is. And, and that slows you down so much that you can't really even get to the end of what you're trying to do. Cause you get so caught in it. So sometimes I'll make music in the DAW without even listening to it. Like I'll just sketch it out. I'll literally sketch out like MIDI and, and certain things. And then I just get the arrangement out, you know, that I'm sort of going for. Sure. And then I'll go back and start listening to it, you know? Sure. Do you so, feel like it's akin to capturing an emotion or tone of feel? Yeah, I think what, especially with filmmaking, when you're, when you're where we were, when we were working together and, and um, you know, there were so many things happening right there at pre-pro that it was just like, holy crud, um, as you're counting down to the deadline to start shooting, I think. Mm -hmm you're able to like kind of just go, okay, if I don't do this and I don't make some decisions here, we're not going to get where we need to go. So I'm pretty good at, I think just sort of like moving forward. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing always. Cause sometimes you do need to really stop and rethink your choices. I think it was like Kubrick who said that like, that's what chess was. So, uh, why it was such an amazing game because chess often you'll see a good move and you'll be like oh my god that's the move this is, gonna, <laughs> this is it yeah but the second you have that feeling that certainty he was like that's when you totally stop and you rethink it and you relook at it and you go is that really the best move mm. and it's because we i think that feeling of being enthusiastic about something can often like trip you up and just you're like oh this is a great move and then you didn't think about it enough you know <laughs> So yeah. I always thought that was interesting, but I'm terrible at chess. So. <laughs> yeah, he, Stanley was really, from what I remember reading too, he was, he was very, uh, very adamant about playing chess and would kind of make his for early li like living basically schooling people in New York playing chess. That's stuff, so funny. Which yeah. makes sense. You feel that the chess maker or the player in, in his films too, I think, is constantly. For sure. I was for just sure. I was just talking to a friend of mine about 2001 and how the aspect ratio of the film is the same as the monolith and how that's all tied together and that's kind of like the you know the the main move basically. Yeah. Without yeah. you knowing it you've been pretty much enraptured in what he's trying to explain to you which I thought was quite brilliant. Yeah. Um, just connecting all those subtle undertones. I know that you're well studied in all this kind of stuff too. How, how much of, uh, of all the books and the learning and the YouTube and, and, and just studying of all this, of the craft of filmmaking, how much of it has in, encouraged your filmmaking and, and do you think it's helped you or has it hindered you in some kind of aspect? I, I know sometimes learning certain things kind of can kind of mess with your mind as well in regards yeah. to just kind of how you create. How, what's your outlook on that? I think it's, it's a little, 
I think it's important when you're enthusiastic about something to gather as much information as you can about it. That that makes you happy, basically. Yeah. I think there are points when, for instance, I kind of just for even people I've I've watched videos on my own stuff and people are like reading into things that don't <laughs> necessarily have that meaning or whatever. But I think it's so cool that they they read into that or they see that. So for me, when I'm usually trying to learn something about somebody, I try to find the information from their mouth if possible, just mm. so I could know what they were thinking, you know? And, uh, there's this great book that I have, I think it's called like film director superstar or something. <laughs> I, I forget what it is. It's like this old book. Um, and like Kubrick is interviewed in it and he was super young oh, and he's yeah. talking about how like, he's like over explaining what space odyssey is, you know, like <laughs> sort of like young enthusiastic person would, you know, about it's so funny because it doesn't feel like the Kubrick that, you know, later who is very like, wouldn't even really give interviews on this or that. Sure. And I, he said, you know, he talked about how space odyssey was supposed to be more like music and how like, a, how like theater kind of ruined, ruined, um, movies in a way because everyone felt like they had to fill everything with words where you know film doesn't have to be full of words it can be like music where yeah. you know a beatles song will affect somebody who's been to cambridge you know university and somebody who's not been to any school music can often affect them and give them the same feeling and the same takeaway even though they're so like different in terms of education and maybe where they're from and things like that and so he wanted film to do something like that as well and um, that's what Space Odyssey was supposed to be. And I loved sort of reading that from his own words because I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. Like that's what he was going for there. Or I don't know. So I try to seek out like when I'm learning something, I try to get it right from somebody's mouth if possible because you could really lose yourself in sort of the deeper analysis per se of <laughs> – types of films and it gets pretty annoying too when you have like the youtube geniuses um trying to totally. analyze and things that have notes like understanding. there's so many perspectives and there's yeah. so many like schools of thought and you know dealing with actors a lot of time you're just the your most important role is just to kind of figure out what type of person they are so that you know how to give them the best platform to do what they do best because yeah. you might have a method actor who just you know, you might need to shoot that method actor first because they don't even know when they're going to like fall into their moment, you know, and then you might have a more theatrically trained person who really is going to kind of like save themselves until they feel like the camera's right in their face, you know, so and they're not going to come up to you when you're talking to them and be like, hey, just, so you know, this is the type of actor I am. You kind of have to figure <laughs> that out yourself and sure. then find best way to capture it but. and that's that's a tough situation because oftentimes you don't get a lot of time right with your actors um the bigger the budget i think from what i understand is you don't get as much time to be intimate with them before um as yeah, you absolutely. would normally i know that like um when i was studying coppola making bram stoker's dracula he had spent a lot of time with his actors in the beginning kind of like if uh, he treated it like a play i think which is yeah kind of how it feels um it feels like a play yeah um, but he spent a lot of time in that i don't know if you've studied that film it's kind of an interesting one because his son did the vis effects and stuff in his no, own I, ha I haven't really read about it at all sounds kind of, cool kind of brilliant actually it's a uh, pretty interesting I, I i mean i'm always i think it's similar to you or i'm 
I have the same mentality. I try to avoid getting the secondhand version of somebody's thoughts. And oftentimes, I mean, working in films, it's so funny when you hear some of these people like saying it, like talking about, say like Roger Deakins and these people have never like filmed something and they're like making the stipulations and you're like, probably wasn't like that. He was on set. He had <laughs> limitations and he did it and it looks brilliant. That's because he's been doing it for years. It's not because yeah. he's planned it like that. It's just kind of like, most likely it's designed by the fact that he's just been doing it for a long time and he knows his limitations and he works within them very well, you know? Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> what do you, th is that kind of, cause every time I, I encounter that, I'm like, Oh, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's mostly just, it's, there's a huge disconnect between reality and, and how films are actually made. I think from people, what people understand is, is what films are like, how films are made. Basically they still a massive gap, which is great, right? You want to keep that magic. You don't want people think, to know yeah. how these things are made, I think. I mean, yeah, you don't want them thinking about it while they're watching it, I guess. But um, yeah. it just depends on the type of film, too. You know, I mean, um, John Cassavetes was very like he was very by the moment and by the feeling. And, you know, I think Coppola was the same way. Like he was very let me sort of see what happens and try to capture the best version of that reality. Yeah. And, you know, some directors like Hitchcock really had it to a T right before they got going. Yeah. And that's what, too, yeah. 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 Um, so I don't, you know, it's a, it's a different process for everybody, but what a lot of people don't realize is that there are so many outside factors that come into it, <laughs> into a day, you know, you just wake up and, you know, oh my gosh, this location, it just rained out or, they've got three feet of mud that we can't get out of. And now we're going to go to this dry location. And there's so many, so many crazy factors that really come down to, you know, anything in my opinion, under a hundred million, if you're over a hundred million, you could probably move the earth's center of gravity somehow if you needed to, to get something <laughs> done. But, but if you're below that, you know, the, you're at the whim of a lot of elements usually that do come into play on, on the, a daily basis. Well, you come from, you come from the ground up and I'm curious to see your thoughts because you're now working on a film that's a bit bigger of a budget, the biggest of your career, right? For sure. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know, I, I think we probably can't talk much about it obviously, and that's fine, but more or less the idea of, um, I, I, I encounter oftentimes I study like, let's say like George Lucas when he made THX in comparison to all like the latest star Wars and then how he's like sold off the franchise and stuff. And I look back at like the filmmaker and, and watching his behaviors and mannerisms when he's behind the scenes and talking about THX and like his energy and his flow. And then like, you know, as Star Wars progressively got bigger, the demise kind of kicked in. And I'm, I'm always thinking like maybe perhaps there is a nice fine line of having that early power and that control of not having so many just pieces everywhere all over the place when it comes to having a bigger budget. What's your thoughts on that? Do you, do you enjoy the bigger budget pressure and stress or do you enjoy kind of the you know run and gun get it done kind of style um of just you know low budget filmmaking or is I there think, a nice balance between the two i for think you? there's a balance honestly i okay. i would love i do i really enjoyed making this movie and, and we're not at the end yet but we're getting there but i enjoy i enjoy i just i love building stuff like i love building stuff whether it's like you know, it's just something really cool to like imagining hallways and then like designing them and then 
and then walking through them like weeks later because you have the money to build them, you know? Yeah, it's um, crazy. And it's so much fun like getting into the palettes of things and the finishes of things. I love production design. I just absolutely yeah, love it. You do. My you have a good eye for it too. I just love, I love textures. I love, I just love it so much. And I, so the nice part about a bigger movie is you can really fabricate those to your, your imagination, which is so much fun, but it's harder to get the intimacy of the shooting and the style of like, of, of capturing the real moments you're going for when it, when something is that big, because you have narrower windows to sort of make it real when you're actually shooting. Yeah. Um, when you're shooting kind of like super, super low budge or really indie garage films, just, what's that <laughs> garage films? It's like, yeah, <laughs> there's a reality that is inherently kind of present as you get going. And it's like, uh, for instance, like in the signal, we would shoot like gas stations and there's people really like walking around and, <laughs> you know, it's just like really raw stuff that, that helps everything work. Yeah. And, um, that's not, you can't put that on production design. It's like, it has that feel that's kind of, you can't fake that kind of candidness, I think. Yeah. Or, or got, you know, to actually fake that and to put your brain power towards that. Yeah. And you really can't do that on a bigger movie. That's gotta be somebody else's job because if you put your brain power towards that on a, on a big movie, then you're not going to be able to function doing the other jobs, the main job, which is capturing performances. And, I, I, it's like when it's just there naturally, it's really cool. Cause you're like, Oh wow, that's, that is what that is. And yeah, you don't have to fake it. And it's, it's, but, but when you're doing a giant film, the AD is going to get everyone to be totally quiet. He's going to stop all the trucks and all the cars. <laughs> and it's going to be so silent that when you go into the scene, you're like, Whoa, this isn't real. This is, and you really have to work harder to make that what it needs to be. You know, it's a, it's weird. It's a, a push and a pull, but I, I think just every project that I do, I learn more, I learn more and I'm able to, you know, hopefully apply the lessons to the next ones and, and keep trying to find the happy medium between the two. Yeah. And that's really, that's really, I think the trick, right. Is like maintaining that. And I think at the end of the day, I could be wrong. Um, but I think as a film director, your, your, your main job is to maintain flow, right. And contain flow and, and keep the story going and keep it engaging and, um, entertaining in this, in the fact where it actually works. But yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, what, in your mind, what is a director and what is like, if you can distill down kind of the main properties of what a director is, what, what is a director to you? I think they're a, um, it's there's sort of like the main thing is a storyteller, you know, like in my opinion, they should be a person who has taken in, you know, every last bit of the story and is trying to find the best way to render that out, you know? And if that's one camera, one shot, and it just follows this person over their shoulder the whole time, then that, and that's the best way to tell that story. That's, those are the choices that the director is going to make and figure out and, and, you know, I feel like that role is modified greatly depending on the amount of, you know, other other bosses and 
other filmmakers and other storytellers in the room. Like if you're on a super indie, my first movie ever, all the Civil War stuff, I was out there for over a year, two years almost building that space station in my parents' backyard. And then <laughs> chainsawing, love, right? all this, yeah, chainsawing yeah. all the stuff for the Civil War stuff. So in that case, I was kind of like I did everything on that movie, you know, and, but the main thing was it was just all to get to the end result, which was tell this story about an astronaut being left in space, you know? Yeah. And uh, so you're your job is just to get to the end somehow and hopefully get those things happening. It's funny, like on love, I remember cause I was shooting it as well. And we'd be like lining up the camera and the first few takes, I'd always be like looking at the whole image and being like, Oh shoot, I gotta go turn off that lighter. Uh, Oh gosh, he's going to lean forward. I gotta, cause I was also pulling focus. I was like, I had my hand up on the front of the barrel and I was like twisting the barrel. Like when the actor would lean in and lean back and, uh, so I'm like also getting my focus marks and all this weird technical stuff was happening. And it was, it really wasn't until like the third or the fourth or maybe the fifth take where I'm like starting to actually feel what the actor is doing. My friend Gunner, who was in that film, um, playing Lee, uh, it was like, he'd already, you know, I almost wasn't even watching his performances until a little later, which ended up working kind of to his um, sort of the methods he was using where he was just kind of trying to get the beats right and the pacing and the blocking and whatnot. So he was working out certain things for himself. So by the time we both caught up, like and my technical brain was finished and now I was like kind of in it emotionally and actually able to just watch what he was doing and yeah. sort of searching for truth. That's when you, I call it searching for truth when mm -hmm. you're starting to like really see what are the things that like what's making you feel and at that point you're just the first audience member you're just watching you know yeah and and when you get it you're like oh my god that was mm. crazy and i feel like it's funny i always tell people you walk away from a scene and you hopefully walk away from that scene feeling like whoa that was such a cool little thing that just happened yeah you know yeah and then at the end of the day you're hoping that all these scenes and all these cool little things happened that happened add up to this one big cool story and you and no matter what there will always be times when you walk away from a scene and you go ah that didn't feel right or that wasn't good yeah and you want those to only happen you want that feeling only a couple of times and it's totally acceptable for it to happen mm. but what you really don't want to have happen is you start feeling that all the time and then you know you have a problem. So I, it's funny. <laughs> how do you assess was, that and how do you, how do you navigate that? Cause that's very true. Well, I don't kind of a lot, like if something is really bad, then maybe you try to reshoot it or you think of another way to do it or you just know it's not even going to go in the movie maybe and you make sure in your brain that that could work. But the funny thing is, is when I was, cause I kind of came up through cinematography and I was a cinematographer for a while on really like low budget, crazy stuff being shot out in Michigan and whatnot. But, um, I remember thinking on those films, I'm not the director, I'm just the cinematographer, but I would think sometimes like, Oh gosh, I don't think this is good. And I would think visually, I'm like, Oh, it looks good, but I don't think this is flowing that great, you know, or I would always have that feeling. And it wasn't until I started shooting my own stuff that I was like, Oh, this is cool. Or I can get it this way. Or, I don't know. I remember I used to have the bad feeling a lot more as a cinematographer. And when I started directing and telling my own stories, then I was like, just from the get go, I was seeking things that would make me excited or happy or passionate about 
each scene, you know? Yeah. Um, Finding that. And and so, yeah, I don't know. I guess what's that? And finding that and working with it. I think James Cameron calls it like lightning in a bottle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like capturing that energy and really trying to, um, like, it's like you can't, it's almost like in my, from my understanding is you can't necessarily kind of, uh, it's, you got to kind of play with it. And I like how you mentioned it's, you, you're willing to deal with a compromise that it's not, it's not realistic for it to always be a home run. There's going to be some, no. you know, there's going to be some hits that aren't going to reach the the bleachers. It's just going to, it's going to be what it is, you know, given yeah. the fact that like a movie, uh, unknowns to the audience is um, millions of moving pieces at all times. Um, yeah. The dynamics, um, and just the idea that a scene actually works or it gets across or a film is actually great is quite amazing, actually, if you think about it, um, which is really cool. It's just like another one of those those anomalies, I think, that happens <laughs> in the process yeah. of making things. Um, yeah. How, how do you maintain your your mental like fortitude and clarity? Is it having a good team around you or do you have a, a daily ritual or is there, is it, have you always been able to handle like deep amounts of stress and just kind of cope through it or where does it come well, from? My hair is turning white very early. So there's <laughs> that. <laughs> do you have any hair left by the way? Yeah. <laughs> I do. I still have some. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you were, you were yeah. bald the last time you went full Walter oh, yeah, White. Oh no, yeah, I shaved it. Yeah, yeah. I shaved it. Yeah, it's back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I guess I, I just, um, I don't know. I'm pretty good at just shoving off stress, I guess. I don't really know. I don't really have anything specifically that I do. I just get up and I, I like sometimes like I'll play Starcraft or something like some fast game or something. You know, I don't game that much, but I like that game. Starcraft's pretty fun. <laughs> um, but I don't, uh, you know, I go to the gym and stuff and, but I guess those, yeah, maybe those are just all parts of my ritual that I don't really think about it that way. And maybe those things add up and they keep me semi-sane. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to like kind of throw things to the side on the weekends and, you know, have fun so that you return to your sort of, gr- not grind, I don't like that word, but, you know, your daily business. Um, unfortunately, for this last year, I have school because I go to night school for music. So... I have school on Saturday nights, but I'm three weeks from graduating. So that will be a bit like I'm literally finishing the movie at night school at the exact same time. Which <laughs> great. But so my Saturdays are always kind of boned, but cause I'm usually doing some homework or something to catch up. But, um, cause I can't usually do as much homework as probably most of the kids do cause they go to school full time. But, sure. um, are you taking but, theory or something right now or what is yeah, it? It's like, I'm going to icon this school called icon collective. That's a, uh, it's kind of like an electronic music school. Hmm. And each quarter we have six classes, like ones on music theory or keyboard techniques. And, you know, there's like a music business class and synthesis class and, um, like Ableton classes and studio techniques and all kinds of stuff. And then we, every quarter we have a mentor. It's an awesome school. Mm. It's really, really cool, but it's pretty intense. So what's the end goal for you with this, um, journey with music? Are you planning on, um, like going off and doing music for a living or is it something that, no, nothing, definitely nothing for a living, but I will definitely be making music on the side. And that it all kind of started because I started going to Burning Man, like, five years ago or something. Yeah. 
And I would see these amazing like sunrise sets, like played by people like Tycho and other people. And um, I've always like been, you know, I can noodle around on a piano and stuff, but I wasn't a bad editor or storyteller. So I was like, gosh, I should just learn how to use like some of these programs and start making some of my own stuff. And um, cut to, I knew about Icon as like a school that was like just really about that. You know, it was kind of like, it wasn't a four-year school, but it was a really intensive, sort of like Nomen. Nomen is for visual effects. Icon is kind of for music, like new techniques to make music and sort of. Uh, so, yeah, I hope to someday like just be releasing music on, you know, under different names. That's the other thing I kind of like about music is you can create these like different Releases, names. Huh? Yeah, for different projects and stuff. And I yeah. think that's so cool. It's like, it's like you get to be... I don't know, just somebody else for different types of music and you get to experiment with things and I think it's great. And so I definitely want to play some stuff at Burning Man. This year I'm trying to make eight um, eight sort of sunrise set pieces that I'll play at the Burning Man. Just, you know, have fun basically. Wow, cool. So you're going to be but, performing at Burning Man then? Yeah. Very yeah. cool. That's awesome. I mean, you get to experience and do things and try different things and like I think um, it's it's cool to have another activity. Like my my buddy Anthony Scott Burns, like he's really really good at making music as well. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Pilot Priest, but he that's his alias that he makes music. Oh, under. cool! But cool. like, yeah, I mean, it, I think it, for him is it's like a it's a way of a release, you know. So I think um, for me, I'm always uh, I'm afraid about making music because it's like one more thing in the day, <laughs> and it's like I another vice, you know, because it's it's just yeah. as like it's the same thing as camera gear. Like it's very similar. Like, Oh, I gotta get this like vintage lens. Oh, I get this vintage like synthesizer for that weird noise, you know? And it's, I mean, are you a gearhead with that too? I bet you have a bunch of stuff all over the place, right? Well, I have like a, a virus TI synthesizer and I just got some new speakers, but yeah, I try to stay really low on the gear side. Hmm. Um, but I own a ton of sample libraries and, I, I just too many plugins. It's so bad. It's like such an addiction that I have to like, just, I, yeah, I have rules for myself so I don't go hog wild because you could <laughs> go down the worst rabbit hole and just be broke, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's so much fun at the same time. And it's like, you know, a lot of play, people will just like be playing computer games or doing stuff like that when they, when they want to decompress. And for me, it's just making music and, experimenting with different genres and I don't know it's it's really it's a lot of fun and the craziest thing about going back to school honestly has been the kids I'm in class with which we're the first night school at this school I guess so um it's you know just seeing these kids who are like 20 years old and sort of understanding their enthusiasm and seeing it it's just it's inspiring you know to like be around you know I'm 35 so I'm sort of a different place in my life but that unbridled enthusiasm is like kind of refreshing um, to get a, you know, collaborate with these kids and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, we're yeah. the same age. So it's cool because we come from probably similar influences, which is one of sure. the yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, um, say, like one of the influences I can sense with your work and, and in, a good, in a good way, too, is like Otomo's work. Like, um, I, I, when did you get in, in, encountered with like uh, the work of Akira and all that kind of stuff? Um, I, I just like, 
yeah, grew up watching a lot of that stuff and just really like there was such a sense of visual design to it and emotion, like really raw emotion that was sort of put into whether it was like the graphic novel stuff or or the anime. And it was just like, I don't know, I just knew I wanted to like make stories that pulled from that kind of raw power and that kind of like crazy stuff. I don't know. It's like, it's almost like when you get frustrated creatively, you can get all like Akira about it. It's like, Rah! you know, <laughs> something like, and that, that sort of intensity, finding ways to like transfer that intensity to visuals and to stories. And I don't know, it's, it's really, uh, um, I don't know. I guess that's why I've always been drawn to that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I, it's like, I mean, his stuff, you just, it's, it's, beyond belief you know yeah I'm, I'm curious to see what ends up happening with that project it's been sitting for so long but somebody will eventually crack it or it'll be like a mini series or something yeah i think it needs to be something that would take form of of being a mini series and i think it should shouldn't be translated in the way that these other ones have i think it probably should be true to the form yeah and, and be it yeah. like like shot in japan you know, like done with actors that represent the ethnicity of the sure. original characters yeah. and just stuff like that. But, um, it's yeah, I don't know. That being in school has also taught me something very, very, like probably the most important thing. And it doesn't have to do with music at all. But like when you talk to somebody and, you know, I'm talking to this kid the other day and he doesn't know who Val Kilmer is and you're like, <laughs> oh my wow. God, and they don't know what Top Gun is. Oh. And they, none of these kids. And so I'm saying like, you know, people wow. talk about everything needing to be IP driven and whatnot. I don't know, really. We're headed into a time when maybe it doesn't really need to hmm. in the future because there's no new IP really coming around. And it's like, you know, even when uh, my girlfriend didn't know what Blade Runner was. Wow. And I was like, oh, gosh, huh. Like, that's, I wonder how the movie's going to do with it looks amazing, but people don't even know. And the kids in my class really didn't know what it was. You know what I mean? Like, so they didn't like, know the original one. So then, no. yeah, and then comparing it to the new one. Yeah. It's crazy. It's yeah, so it crazy. crazy. But it yeah. makes you go, you suddenly realize like everything at, you know, a company that like Hasbro or something, maybe nobody knows who G.I. Joe is anymore. You know, maybe nobody knows what the game Candyland was anymore. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's a really interesting time. They all know Marvel because they've been making the Marvel films. But as far as they're concerned, Marvel is still IP from their parents, you know? Yeah. yeah. And they don't really have their own IP right now. So I don't know. Interesting time looking ahead. But it, it is. Yeah. Especially for creatives like ourselves who I don't know, like um, when you want to make something, it feels like every time, say, like when I was making Lost Boy stuff, people would go, oh, it looks like this or it looks like that. Um, I think it's just a part of the human nature to itemize and yeah. categorize, you know, which is fine. Sure. It's just a part of the, 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 the part of making something new. And then also one of the things that we ran into as a part problem when we were trying to make our own IP is that people say they want something new, but they aren't willing to take the risk to make it, you know, usually cause yeah. it's, it's so risky. Um, you know, the people you go, Oh, it's a film about this. Oh, what? And it's like that. Oh, I don't know. You know, it's, right. and, and we're like, well, we are trying to make something new here. And, and the, the fact that like all these films that are now kind of like classics were regarded as failures in the beginning, you know, which is kind of, I don't know. 
it's just a testament, but it is a really interesting time. I haven't given up on the idea of making something new, but at the same time, there really isn't anything that's authentically new for se. Yeah, right. We right. haven't really had it for a long time, which is kind of a sad thing of the idea that maybe we've hit the wall of the whatever simulation we're in. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> sure. I don't know if you're yeah. into that kind of stuff. You know, beyond uh, you know, in the the creed and belief systems of things, but. Yeah, I don't know. It it really it's it's kind of like off putting and interesting, and it makes me feel bad that I'm not making something um, to to feed the next generation and and per se, you know, and trying to find a way to make something new. It's I think as you know, it's 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 not easy. So <laughs> right, right, no, constantly for sure. going up against it. I mean, the signal was was it was its own thing, right? And that was a. How did that work? I, I think I remember something like you and your brother. It was your brother that had written some of it, or did he write it? Um, yeah, I, I wrote it, and then I pulled my little brother on. I wrote it with a friend of mine, uh, David Fajario, and then we pulled my little brother Carlisle on. So all three of us wrote it together. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, just uh, just um, I had been finishing up another project, I think, uh, that I was shooting for somebody else. I was helping um, Nick Cassavetes at the time um, work on something. And then I was just writing that at night in my hotel room. <laughs> and I'd already pitched it to the producer, Brian Cavanaugh Jones. He's like, oh, this sounds cool. You know, go write it. And uh, so I did. And then I brought it back to him. He's like, oh, this is great. We can, we're going to make this. But, I, you know, we could either wait and try to find the proper amount of money, which is probably 10 million or 15 million, or I can get three right now. And, um, so I was like, all right, let's just do it. So we got the three and just started going for it. You know, that's awesome. Uh, you made so that film was done uh, at 3 million, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was tight, but that's you know, that, at that point it's just about making creative choices that, you know, will make it feel bigger. Like, okay guys, if we're going to make this for this cheap, then you got to set aside 50,000 for a helicopter and a space cam and this helicopter's got to fly at like 200 miles an hour over the Taos bridge and chasing a car, chasing the kid running, you know? Yeah. So you try to like just put money where it goes, you sure, know? Sure. And, and early and just put your foot down on certain things. And cause most, most producers be like, I oh, can't afford that crazy stuff. <laughs> well, if yeah. you want it to feel bigger, you know, this is what we got to do. <laughs> got to open up that lens. Got to go wide. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and every time you go one step out, you got you to add some more money to it. So, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. um, that's cool. I mean, it's it's what's your writing process like? Do you have a um, when I mean, I feel like for most creatives too, especially like visual creatives, the bridge to writing it can be somewhat cumbersome or challenging. How did you get into writing? Because I think you originally you, like your bread and butter was cinematography, right? shooting yeah. films and then going yeah. transitioning that into creating your own IP and worlds and then writing it. I mean, you've really just kind of pushed through. You just keep going and going. So what's your <laughs> writing process like? Do you, do you have books that you've read and studied up on or do you just kind of go for it and iterate? You know, I wrote like a few versions of The Signal before it really started getting going. Um, and then like it's funny, I think I bought that book, which is a great book to save the cat book. I bought that after I was done writing it and mm -hmm. then uh, I like read it and was like, oh, well, maybe I should go tweak a couple of these things to just kind of hit these sort of beats harder. It's like but that's that's a good I think it's a good process to like try to write 
I, you know, making a movie, writing a movie to me is like building a watch because the, a watch is so small and you only like can fit so many things inside it that all the pieces really do need to work together. And I think depending on what kind of movie you want, like, look, there's no rules, but if you want a movie that can probably be, you know, purchasable and all these other things you want it you want to satisfy the audience you know and in order to do that every scene kind of has to work pretty hard and that's the trickiest part but it's so hard to start a movie thinking outline wise okay well here's the part where you know the hero's journey it's the lowest point or whatever you know it's like so hard to write that way it's i think it's a lot easier to write really thick at first almost like more in the stephen king way of writing which he like digs up his stories almost like a dinosaur bones he says he just sort of like <laughs> reveals the fossil as he goes down yeah and he knows the characters and like he knows like he just watches them make the choices that oh he's like oh don't do that but then the character does it and i think it's such a fun way to write because you're kind of like telling yourself a story as you go yeah and i love that process because that way you're like you're excited to write each new scene. Oh my God, what if this happened? And I just love that process. Yeah. I, it's really hard to start with this crazy big outline and be like, Oh, and then this happened. Cause you won't know all the details that make it interesting. And often when you do that, you fall flat because you just like, it doesn't feel real or it feels contrived, you know? Hmm. And so I think it's important to write really thick and kind of uselessly at first, but enjoy your characters and love what they're doing and be hoping for them and interested in the choices they're making or worried for them because of the choices they're making. Sure. And then when you're done, go back and like start to carve out and lose things and cut fat or add things that keep your, your point and your motives on track and whatever you know the proper filmmaking shit that you've got to do sure um but i i that's my process i i just start writing what i would like to see on screen and things i would know are interesting and i think i have a real hard time starting like outlining first and going you know i guess the other thing is like i have a lot of films that are just in my head lots and lots of them do you see them Nothing's... visually like vividly oh, yeah. in your third eye oh, yeah. okay oh yeah yeah the way and you I work could, like, is you sometimes... just kind of visualize and then you kind of manifest yeah like for sometimes some other time when we're hanging out i will tell you maybe one of my films that's in my head and i, I can like lead you through it yeah and i think you know it's all there and I just kind of have to sit down and then start writing the scenes. And it's going to come out very fat when I do it. But then I'll go back and clean it up. Cut and it make out, it, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it, do you have the, I guess, is it Michelangelo who would kind of look at a piece of marble and he would see the form inside and he would just kind of chisel away? Is that the, kind of the same kind of approach? I guess so, yeah. I guess, I mean, for me, usually most of my films circle around like one character and mm. one motive. And so... For me, it's a lot easier to kind of – it's not so complicated because I'm really tracking one perspective um, mostly. And I think that's where I'm probably a little different than other people is that they'll they'll be making something with a lot of characters and a lot of motives. And, and so the point of view is a little muddier perhaps or purposefully you know, or just dancing around. And I can't think like that. I always have to think of like – I'm telling one story about one person or sort of one thing. Sure. 
Well, Austin, I mean, obviously, there's other characters, but yeah. But I think that's your voice, you know. And there's, yeah, I guess yeah. There's something I think. I don't know. I think a lot of times art can be so compromised by people's influence by others. And I think it's good as a creative person, a true creative person to just say, Hey, you know, this is me. Uh, I'm not yeah. like that person, but that's okay because I'm not supposed to like, if I create things and I just, you know, I wanted to I wanted to mimic somebody else. It, I think it hinders the art form. I think, yeah. it, I think it happens a lot in the beginning of being a creative where you'd say like you want to start drawing. Then you look at Mobius's work and go, wow, okay. Like, this is like <laughs> this is true drawing. And then you start to draw, and you're like, "Wow, I really suck. Like, I'm not even close to this." And then, <laughs> then you go, then you realize. Um, I I kind of had this really good distinction when I started studying Mike Mignola's work, who did Hellboy, and his his whole style came from what he said is quote unquote lazy, where he would say, "I'm not gonna, uh, I don't want to draw every window in the building like you know Jim Lee or something like that. I'm gonna like basically make one window." <laughs> But yeah. my style is going to be come down to just distilling shapes. And his style came from just his own approach, you know, and I think, right. and he just rode that all the way through. And luckily he, his style, I think he's a very smart guy. So I think he knew as what he's doing, but, um, I think that's the same thing. And, and, and your writing style, I think is, is, is really just the right approach because it's like, Hey, uh, I walk this way because this is just kind of how I walk, you know? Yeah. And, and that's yeah. just, you know, right or wrong. That the cool thing is you're going to have fans. You're going to have people that like your work and people that don't, you know? Yeah. And you just yeah. have to deal with that. How do you deal well, with like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just, yeah, hopefully you make something that's at least polarizing, you know, mm. if not all good, then at least you want some people to really love it. And then other people can really hate it too. But then at least you have people talking, you know? Yeah, I agree. You never, I think the lukewarm response is never a good thing. Um, right. I've had, right. I've had experiences where like <laughs> I'll make like a, one of my shorts and I'll share my wife and she really just doesn't like it at all. And then it'll be like the thing that like really opens up my career to new things. And I'm like, I always like talk to her about like, look, this person really liked it. <laughs> so I'm glad at least right. I'm still doing what I feel is right, you know? So, and it's just, a, it's just a, um, it's just one of those things I think you just have to be aware of. And as a creative, I think oftentimes we're so willing to compromise and sacrifice because oh, like Stanley Kubrick did it like this or David Fincher does it like this. And so I should do it like this because it's such a, I don't know if you agree, but like the, the art of making films, filmmaking is, it has so many different moving pieces. You're like, okay, cool. I figured out how to use cameras. Okay, great. Okay. Well shit. Now I got to go film. Oh, now I have yeah. to like figure out how to edit. Okay. Well damn. Okay. Now I need to learn how to do sound design. All right. Now I need to learn how to figure out how to work with actors and it's not until like like five films in or like five years, ten years in, you're like, okay, I think I know what this is about. And it's not about the gear. It's a matter of like capturing that energy. And it's like right, so right. many years of failure. And, and it's like a very kind of thankless action almost in a sense. Um, and that's why I was really curious because from my perspective, it all comes down to who that person is deep down and how they deal with like just the adversities of day-to-day just drudgery basically <laughs> of like um, the world is kind of going against you in a sense. And sometimes it aligns, but sometimes it doesn't. That's why I was just really, I was always fascinated when we worked together. I was like, wow, you're, you're so positive. You're so happy. And just let's just go get it. Yeah. Woo yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I think like it's, you just have to know it's going to work out. It's weird. I, I often tell people if I knew how hard it was going to be, I probably wouldn't have, 
tried to do it, but I just knew I wanted to do it. And thank God I didn't know how tricky it was. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> sure. I probably wouldn't have gone down this road, you know, it's like, or I would have just, it's really hard. Like even getting into the studio system, it's still very, very, very competitive, like to get here. Yeah. It's still competitive to even get your movie greenlit. And it's so wildly competitive that, um, yeah, if I had, I always knew I was going to be a director when I decided I was going to be a director. I was like, all right, I'm going to be a director. And, and here I am and I am. And I don't take that for granted, but I'm so happy that I just had that sort of blind faith early on because had I known how tricky it was, I probably would have been scared to do it in the first place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was hard, but I didn't know why it was hard back then. So it didn't really matter to me. I was just like, I'm going to do it, you know? <laughs> um, and then every step of the way, I'm usually passionate about trying to learn something. It's funny. I was very passionate about cameras and I think I'm a good shooter and I'm a, you know, I can make good visual choices, but now I don't think about it as much because hopefully I hire the person that I think makes even better visual choices. And so that's, that part's the most fun for me is getting to work with people like yourself, like really talented visualists or people who are just at the top of their game doing different types of things and then getting all these artists together. It's just like, I don't, I don't, I'm stoked to be here. And I try to always remember that, um, a lot of people want to be here and I'm just like, you know, I just don't take it for granted. It's, it's a tricky job, but like at the end of the day, I got to be this like crazy imagineering kid that just makes stuff. Totally. And that's a and great pro that. approach too. That's a great way to look at it, I think too. And I think I would definitely have the same approach to it too. Cause I mean, that really is at the end of the day, you're kind of building teams and fostering people and working with them and kind of trying to extract the best thing and, 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 and motivate them and inspire them to understand what your vision is and what's between your ears really. Um, and getting that out to screen as yeah. consistently as possible. You talked a little bit about the studio system in Hollywood. I'm really curious about your approach to that because it's a long leap to go from, you know, chainsawing stuff in your parents' backyard for an indie type film and then going all the way to the Hollywood system. I'm just curious about how you, your approach was for that and kind of what led you to that and kind of just that whole journey? Um, I, I mean, you just, you just, the real approach is just making your films, like in this case, the signal and it getting kind of a little bit of traction out there as they like, that's a, that's a film buzzword there, traction, <laughs> but <laughs> sure. like, you know, people seeing it and then, um, then you're pitching your next ideas or you're writing your next thing. And you, you know, you meet with people, uh, at the studios, you know, and, I think it just comes down to being like a semi-normal person that uh, they feel like they could work with. I mean, I think that sure. there's a lot of really talented people out there who might be a little crazier than I am and you really want to work with them, but at the same time, maybe it's difficult or they're going to make something maybe harder than it needs to be. Sure. And um, I think part of my process has always just been like trying to just be very open and over communicative things that will make all your bosses and people like stoked to work with you and want to work with you more. And somebody told me a long, long time ago that like, cause what happens on a daily basis is you're mad about everything, you know, just like everything's going wrong and the choices are not working and da 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 da. You're always mad. I swear to God, I'm inside. I'm always like, gosh, this is not right. You know, yeah. or who hired that guy? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of like <laughs> negative energy in you all the time. Yeah. 
And uh, I forgot who told me, but they were like, basically like, whatever you do, bottle it up. Basically you can snap a couple of times and it lets people know that he cares, you know, Yeah. but do whatever you can do to hold in the negativity <laughs> and then let it go later. You know, sure. when you're at home eating pizza or something and <laughs> watching pizza. This. Yeah. <laughs> but like, keep it in because you know you think about your own like work experiences and you're like who's the most miserable to work with well it's miserable to work with the guy who's just flipping out all the time and you don't even begin you don't want to work for that person or you don't want to do something great for that person and you know i think as a director a big part of your job is inspiring other people to get on board with something that maybe they haven't fully understood what the vision is yet but you want them to want to yeah and if you're just a jerk or you're you know, losing your mind over every little thing, then you're never going to get there. And so I think that for me being, you know, very like just, I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm not like the easiest person to work with, but I'm definitely not the hardest. And I think that that makes it like, uh, my sort of transition into the world where there's a lot of different cooks in the kitchen, um, and a lot of different voices. It makes it a little, um, easier, I guess you could say. And I know other directors who are very similar like that. You know, uh, a good friend of mine is Andy Muschietti who directed it. And he's just such a charming, awesome person to be around. And mm. you like, you know, he's doing amazing stuff right now, obviously. And you just see it in his personality. You're like, gosh, you know, he just loves what he does. And people, you know, feed off of that. Yeah, they love working with him and stuff. Yeah. I, well, I really enjoyed when we worked together is you're really, um, you're really willing to just kind of let me do what I do, which I felt was really great. Like I, I felt like you, you said, Hey Ash, I need us to go here and then just go, here's some paints and go paint. And then I'd make some stuff and you're like, awesome. And they're like, okay, now shift gears to this. And, and so, <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe there's a, perhaps that's a, um, a testament to the, where we are in our careers or something, you know, but um, oftentimes I feel like when you're directing somebody or you're working with somebody, I think, um, that's a real important thing is to let them do what they do. And I think that's a really hundred percent can like, sometimes be very, pressure. very difficult. I think I, I mean, when I work with really great people, I guess I would say when I work with my friend Anthony or something and I just go like, Hey, you know, like you're really good at this. You're much better than I am at this. So I would just want you to do what feels best because I trust your taste, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you're at the top of your game in that realm. So it's like, there's not much that I'm going to be able to say to you that's going to make what you're going to do better other than explain the, you know, the idea behind something and then let you go for it. It's like, it'd be like me showing up at a race and trying to like, you know, run something through Usain Bolt and being like, well, no, you should run more like this. And then you lose, (laughs) you know, it's like not, not going to work. You know, you got to let, let people do what they do best. And that's really what a director, I think, is to do. For sure. I think I don't know. That's a that's one thing that took me a while to kind of learn. Um, uh, but it's a it's a good lesson, I think, and it's something that I learned through through working with you and other directors. That like Justin Kurzel, when we worked on Assassin's Creed together, it was just so great. And I just kind of told Justin, I said, like, look, like your film is your film, and I'm here to just help you. And my goal is to kind of encourage whatever art form you want. So I'm going to just give you like paints basically to to paint your your painting basically you know and so we had a really cool approach and that that whole experience was just really was really powerful it was like an eye-opening experience for me at least personally so the one thing i'm 
the one thing I'm curious about with you is is kind of how you go about picking and choosing collaborators a la like cinematographers. I'm really quite fascinated by cinematography right now as all the yeah. text messages I've been sending you and stuff. Sure, but, uh, sure. um, but how do you go about finding somebody? Do you watch their work and kind of connect with what they're doing and their, the, the, the way they like to shoot? And what do you look for in a cinematographer? I break it down into different types of things. I think there's very different types of cinematographers. Sure. Um, and so I break it into three main sort of categories. And then what I personally do is I just try to find people who have worked with them and try to get to the nitty gritty. And then you also have to dig in a little further and kind of like to each one of these things I'm going to talk about. You have to kind of like see who else was involved. For instance, I feel like there's I think that there's lighting DPs who are really good at lighting. I think that there's uh, camera work DPs who I think are really good at, you know, blocking and where the camera is going to be and all that kind of stuff. And then I think there's storyteller DPs, DPs who just, you know, really are good at, you know, moving through a film and staying on track and knowing what the story needs and what kind of shots will help the story. Mm. And then you can have combinations of those things, you know, um, and ideally you want somebody who's good at all of them. Right. But yeah. you just, uh, the truth is even the big, the best DPs. They're going to be much better at certain things. Now, the top, top guys are good at all of them. You know Roger Deakins is amazing at all of those things. Yeah. Um, but other DPs, it's like, like no, maybe Vesky they're better. At, yeah, I mean, it's for me, what I'll try to do is if I think a guy's lighting work is amazing, like he's a real strong visualist, then I'll sort of go, okay, who was the camera guy? on these movies mm. um who was like actually moving the camera yeah yeah and then you'll try to like back that up and see where that sort of goes we had an amazing camera operator on um the film i just did roberto who won cameraman of the year on baby driver mm. and you know just seeing how he works he's not a cinematographer but watching how he frames and what he puts in the frame and his understanding of blocking and like what, you know, if we did this, oh, we better get this reverse, you know, like that takes a load off of, you know, our DPUs thinking more about the actual frame often, like the, what, how the lighting is working and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Boyan Bazelli shot this, who shot, um, the ring and a bunch of other amazing movies that are just so beautiful. Hmm. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I think you just, for me, I'm always just trying to sort of break down what I think DP a DP strength is. Having been there as a DP, I kind of understand all the parts of it, you know. Yeah. What are the main parts? Well, that, that's kind of what I was saying. The storytelling aspect, being sure. able to like stay on schedule and trying to like get ahead and, and know, understand okay, I got to get this right? reverse. Yeah. Or I got to get this reverse if I shot it over here and – um, you know, we need this establishing shot and, you know, we're, worst case scenario, we can live with those two things and move on yeah. and understanding being able to move like that as a DP is incredibly important because if you can't function like that, you might end up killing the story. Yeah. Um, and a lot of t times that's why they'll put like with a big first time director, they'll give that person a real good storytelling DP, yeah. um, who often maybe isn't quite the strongest in some other visual realm, but you don't want that super strong visual guy. You want the guy who's going to help keep the movie on track, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, 
it's just such a, a balance of trying to look at each one of those little pieces and going, what's the most important thing for me right now? That's yeah. going to, you know, for instance, you could probably get some really strong visualists out of the commercial world right now um, to shoot your film. But is that going to be the best thing for the film if they can't stay on track and help assist with, you know what, we only maybe need this wide and it should be tracking over here. Like if they can't really do that and they're hoping you're going to make all those choices, then you don't really have an ally in that realm. But yeah. if you're somebody like David Fincher, who's done it a billion times, you know exactly what you want or you've storyboarded it exactly, then you really don't need that guy. You need the guy who's going to keep it looking rich and beautiful and all that kind of stuff. So hmm. I think when you're starting out, making sure you have an ally in the storytelling realm is is super, super important. Yeah. Uh, That's good. I mean, it's great advice, very sound. I mean, because you're going to need it, right? Because you're fighting so many other things like not having a production (laughs) budget and things like that. Yeah. And if you make a movie that looks beautiful, but it's not like emotionally doing anything or it's not tracking, you know, you're not getting as much time as you need with the real movie, which is usually in the characters' faces and the things that they're saying. Yeah. You don't give yourself enough time there, then it doesn't really matter how pretty it is. You just, you know. More or less a commercial or something, something that's just, it has its place, but it's not, it's not necessarily doing the job of a narrative storytelling kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the most important part. In fact, it's like, I don't know. I just think it's so important to, to the, the most important thing is whatever's coming out of the actor's mouths or whatever, whatever their eyes are telling you, you know? Mm, mm. And, uh, if you can't get that, then you're not going to be in the ballpark you're just you're yeah you're just making a music video or you're making a commercial or something like that yeah there's a place in this universe for that too it's just but yeah it's a different of course totally a different thing obviously yeah yeah but nothing works better than a good story you know and that's why if the (laughs) script isn't working and you don't have that sorted out then don't even start (laughs) yeah true because yeah. you will you will dig so many holes and be so in over your head that you're like, oh no, you know. You ask me what a director does, and it's like he really is prepped the movie. That's what he does, and then he just shows up and starts going. But you know, the first job is prepping, 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 prepping until your eyes are gonna fall out. So that by the time you get there, and the decisions have to be on, like, you have time early on to like make wise decisions. Yeah. When you're working and it starts to rain and you got to move locations and now we're going to have to do this other scene. If you haven't prepped accordingly, then you're going to get to that other scene that's going to be flat. Mm-hmm. Yep. But if you have prepped, then you're okay and and you're ready to go. And then, you know, then you're just at that point watching the movie kind of. And your main job is just kind of trying to watch the film from a thousand feet because – and that's the other thing too. Ideally, you've cast it well enough that the actors can do what they do really well. Yeah. And you cannot. You're not going to manage the little performances unless you're Kubrick and you can afford to do that. <laughs> you're going to really just manage the arcs. You know, you want to like keep up in the helicopter, looking down, going, "Okay, we came from that scene, and now we're over in this scene. So this scene needs to be like this." And you just want to make sure that tonally, the motion of the story is working. Mm. Because it's really easy sometimes to in the jarble, especially when you're doing something crazy indie and it's all out of order. There's tons of visual effects. It's very easy to um, start a scene and it to feel right. You're like, oh, great. The acting's great. It's working. It's whatever. 
And then when you go put it together, <laughs> if you hadn't been like really managing like the tone from scene to scene and place to place, yeah. you might end up with this like jigsaw puzzle that is all different colors. Like it doesn't, they don't fit. Hmm. How do you um, manage that then? You just kind of keep, keep an eye on it. Do you watch dailies and the connector go, okay. Cause yeah, I mean, for people that don't but, know, films aren't made like, you know, linearly. That's where your like, script supervisor is just incredibly, mm, okay. incredibly important. And a lot of people think script supervisors, like their job is to like, oh, just to like, oh, the Coca-Cola can was turned this much and now it's <laughs> not, you know, mm. that's not, that's not their job. I mean, yeah, that's a great thing for them to keep track of, but that's really not a good script supervisor. A good script supervisor is like tracking the emotional journey with the director. Sure. And they're like, you know what? In that other scene, he was just crying and blah, 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 blah. So wouldn't he be at this point here or whatever? No, they help crap. They're watching the sort of spiritual journey of the film. If they're a good one, you know? Yeah. And they're there to help you think about that um, scene to scene. And I saw this amazing thing that I think Ang Lee's uh, script supervisor did for Life of Pi. Mm. And it was this huge wall. And the wall was like a chart and it was like sort of the journey of the movie on one side and then the other side was like the spiritual place of the main character, the physical place of the main character and all these things and like where they were through the film. So it was like you could just quickly scene by scene go, oh, OK, he's this dirty here and he's emotionally here and he's, you know, uh, and this is page whatever. And that that's so cool. That's what a script supervisor really ought to be doing because that's the story you know that's like managing the story yeah um so i've so always been inspired by that yeah it's really tricky um i mean that's yeah putting a piece like a a, a full film together is very tricky uh, especially a very dynamic one it's because you have so many moving pieces and again as you mentioned it's like you're trying to manage these undertones while keeping in mind the main theme. So you're kind of dancing and macro and, and like very close macro, like, like you mentioned Kubrick go very, like even Fincher I think does as well. And then going very far away, like looking at the main picture and like, okay, how is this scene supporting the main thing, which is supporting the climax, supporting the theme and all that kind of stuff. And, but at the same right. time staying interesting and how am I staying original and authentic? I mean, it's just like, I think the thing I love about this and maybe you're the same way um, is it's, it's a fascinating enigma you have your me methodology and what you learn, but what you do is going to be different from mine, going to be different from everybody. The, the, what I'm basically saying is there's no real right way. There's some no. right ways and some wrong ways, and there's some rules you don't want to break, and there's all that kind of stuff. There's a couple things that are pretty true, um, but for the most part, it's so up in the air. And there's sometimes you think like the rules are this, and then you watch a movie and go like, holy shit, this person totally broke all those rules, and it, it's still great. <laughs> yeah, know? of course. And you're just like, oh, wow, okay. You know, like I, you know, I, I'll go for a moment where I'm like, I just want to, I'm really into like no hand holding. It's like, you know, just put it on a tripod and like lock shots and to see how far you can go. And then I'll go, then I'll watch a film that I really enjoy and go, wow, like there's a lot of like handheld shots here. And like, damn it. <laughs> you know, like there's yeah. no, there's no, I don't know, rhyme or reason. How do you decide when you're, and this is good too because you were talking about doing a lot of prep work, which I totally agree. I think prep work is what's going to save your ass when you're actually doing it. The more time and, 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 and more energy you put into your prep, which is a total fucking pain in the butt, but it's so important. Um, I think it, it really leads you into a better experience when you're actually creating the thing. 
do you do pre previs? Do you do storyboards? How do, how does that work for you? That creative process of taking those words from a script and translating them to um, you know to your team or whatever. Um, I mean, on this movie, we did a lot of previs, but and we did a lot of boards. Uh, boards from, uh, underworld or what, underwater? Sorry, underwater. Yeah, we yeah. did a lot of boards, and then we do a lot of previs on the signal. Um, I did a lot of boards that I basically did myself or my mom would help me. Oh yeah. <laughs> she was a terrific artist as well. That's so cool. Um, so sometimes I would do really, really, really fast little thumb sketches and then she would turn them into better pieces that everyone could understand. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but yeah, that, that would be basically it. And then I do shot maps a lot. I draw shot maps. What's that? Like, it's like an above angle. Okay. Like you look at like almost like a architectural sort of diagram and you'll put the cameras in places and that's always a good way to kind of plan out how you're going to move through the scene, you know, mm. like, Oh, we'll do these two first cause we're over here and then all the lighting can be over here and then we'll shift it and it will go over here. Um, you know, you're just able to get through some of the technical things from a shot map without having to draw frame by frame every shot. So depending on the intensity of whatever's being shot, if it's just like a basic scene that doesn't really need a lot of big ideas going into it, then shot maps are usually how I like to work only because it leaves, you're not being weighed down by like frame, 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 frame. Yeah. Interesting. <coughs> I was yeah. watching, uh, bless you. I was watching, um, David Sandberg, um, are you familiar with him? He did like the Annabelle creation or Annabelle oh, film. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of like a an, an kind of an indie self-made kind of director as well. And I was watching, he, he was pretty generous with, and especially in his earlier career when he was, had probably had a little bit more time on his hands, but he was very generous with like sharing the knowledge that he had um, while making the the properties that he's been doing. But he was talking to, like he did this really cool, like kind of behind the scenes where he would basically take his phone into the scene, like he would go <laughs> into the house that he was going to shoot in and uh -huh. he would do it like <laughs> with his phone. You go, okay, now here we are and I'm at a 35 mil and we're going to do this thing and they're just going to do this action is going to happen here and we're going to turn the camera here and we're going to this, this and that. And we can turn back and see his reaction and come back over here. And so he's basically kind of like in that scene doing the shots, which I thought was that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually tried that for my next little short and I like that process because I don't know about you, but sometimes boarding is great, but there is a big disconnection between boarding and what you see, because for me, at least without having production and not like I have to use the light that I have available at the place. And it's right. <laughs> so you have to shoot around that basically, because even though like, you know, bless Sony for their incredible sensors and their amazing equipment, like, it's still not enough. Like, you know, yeah. I can't just be shooting in the dark. <laughs> no, of course. So yeah. you kind of have to plan around that. So basically what I'm saying is like, no matter what I do with my boards, as great as my boards could be, there's still limitations when you're doing yeah. that. Do you find that, what's your ratio to like, okay, this was exactly as I boarded it or how far away does it go from your... From your oh, board? it always changes. Okay. It always changes. But the boards are there at least for... The boards are more for everyone else so they know where they are. You know, mm -hmm. they go, oh, we're at this shot. Oh, okay, we're going for this. Yeah. And it also depends. Like, you know, this movie I'm doing right now has a ton of visual effects. So often the boards were the shot because they yeah. – so many things are getting built around it. But, um, but um, 
Yeah, I think what you're talking about is is awesome. Like that's beyond boring. That's way if you can do that, you should do that because it gets it forces you to get in there and kind of live moments out and go, oh. And essentially what you're sort of doing is you're you're getting ahead of your blocking where you're seeing where people are gonna be standing and because the blocking is like the real art of the film, like in terms of the interaction, the immersion of the scene. Like you can always tell when you're watching bad blocking because it just feels stiff. Yeah. But when you start to see actors like leaning against something and then working off of something or mm. reacting because of something that's in the room or the way another person moves, that's where like things become real. Yeah. And so Spielberg's incredible get, with blocking. Oh yeah. Damn yeah. him. Spielberg's incredible at it. Yeah. And just, you know. It's uh, helpful to get there, get involved in it as early as you can, yeah. if you can, and and work it out, you know? Yeah, I, I thought that approach was cool, and I was curious to see if you, you should try it. I mean, I don't know, like, it's kind of difficult, especially if you're doing big sci-fi stuff where most of it's, like, green screen or hidden. But, like, yeah, I mean, it was kind of rad. I remember working on, like, Ender's Game, and um, Ben, who was a production designer, he was Ben Proctor, he was... He had this kind of cool thing. This is back a while ago now because Ender's Game is quite old now. But he had his iPad and he had basically made a 3D model of a set that was still like wood, basically, um, as right. they were building the set. And then he had a 3D model that he would stand in one spot and he, he would basically do an HDRI like map. He, would, he could take his iPad and move it around. And so he would yeah. show Gavin. He said, like, here's the set, basically, what it's going to look like, you know. I think, Yeah. I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's just information. We had underwater you know? like a lot where okay. we would build stuff in the – I guess the Unreal Engine. Okay. And we'd kind of start lighting it at that phase with like the VR headsets and stuff. Yeah. Um, it was all, like Alex Nice did did a lot of that for us and did an amazing job. That's awesome. Uh, we had a lot of fun with that. But you feel and then like we that built some little physical models too, which is always funny too. And you can use your iPhone to take pictures within the little physical model. <laughs> <laughs> always really funny. Just go go go. Then at that point, yeah. Where do you think Hollywood's going with all this? You know, like um, some people consider Hollywood on its way out. Um, you look at video games and um, I think it's probably always going to be a part of culture. But the the difference is is quite significant now. We've talked a little bit about video games and stuff and you're interested in them as well and creating them. Um, but what do you what are your thoughts on this being a person that works and lives within this uh, this realm? I you know, I where it's all going i have no idea i know people will always be thirsty for a good story there's yeah. nothing better i mean everyone's loving what i haven't played it but i've seen parts of it the new god of war game yeah yeah <laughs> the story's awesome and it's just like people love a great story so yeah. but no matter what the hunger is going to be there and i think people like going and sharing sort of watching those stories together whether it's in a theater or you know we have those cool hollywood forever screenings down here What's that? Um, it's over in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. They have these huge screenings um, in this big open area that they have. And it's just so much fun. It feels like you're in like Berlin or something. It's like mm. a, thousand, a couple thousand people watching a movie together. Oh, that's cool. And um, I, I haven't been able to go this year because I always have school on Saturday nights. But in July, I'm going to do it. Awesome. But yeah, I, don't, I think people love watching stories. And I think that Hollywood's going to continue to put them out. I just don't know what the form of delivery is going to be. You know, it's, it's easier than ever to just watch stuff on Netflix and whatnot, but yeah. How do you watch your films? Say, I go to the movies, you know, I go to, I go to the movies every other weekend probably. Okay. Do you watch a uh, lot of films then? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. There's how many films a week do you think you watch? 
Oh no, not a, not during a week. I just yeah. I I want to say I go to the theater once every other weekend, basically. Okay. And then in terms of movies, I watch like maybe one a week on my own or something. Sure. You know. Yeah. And the rest of the time, I'm just watching The Office. <laughs> same man that's exactly i'm like exactly the same because the office is like this thing that i can watch and go to sleep to almost like <laughs> yeah, like not so and like good. not insulting it anyway because it's so brilliant no, i love it's it so good. it's, it's such a good show. show i can like quote all of the seasons yeah. well not all of them i stopped watching them past yeah. like when michael scott left or yeah right right, right. fell apart yeah. after that but yeah yeah that's anyways funny. that's super funny no i i um it's the same too is there any films that you've seen recently that you really enjoyed or, or took something from that you learned that you really um were kind of surprised by um i did see the star wars solo movie the other weekend and it was crazy i leaned over to my girlfriend i was like gosh this movie's really dark it was so dark um mm -hmm. not like dark as in theme but like it felt like a like it was dim oh. i felt like i was wearing sunglasses two stops down or something yeah, and I guess a bunch of news came out that it was pretty low light cinematography, but but a lot of the theaters are running the projectors dim so to save the bulbs. Oh, <laughs> and um, you know because they're expensive to replace. Sure. And I don't know if that was I, I couldn't believe that that article came out because I was like, gosh, I felt that. I literally was like, whoa. Hmm. I felt like it was too dark. Interesting. <laughs> so I thought it was funny that article came out. I was like, weird. Yeah, uh, you could go and you can go out and set and capture the most beautiful image, and then if the projector sucks, you'd never know, you know. Yeah, so but I'm just go. wondering if everyone's talking about it. Maybe because I saw it at a I nice it, theater next to my house, and maybe it is just really dark, you know. But who yeah. knows? Yeah. Um, I saw Avengers, of course. I enjoyed it. Um, I'm trying to think of any smaller things I've seen recently. Um, I'm sort of excited for that scary film uh, that's coming out. Ah, gosh, what is it called? Oh. Hereditary or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Hereditary looks super good. Uh, yeah. My friend Andy, that trailer is amazingly done. Yeah, so well done. Uh, Andy Muschietti, who directed it, he was saying that it, it, like, he saw it and he just said it was like crazy. So, Wait, he directed it and he saw it and he said it's crazy. No, no, he he said He's, he saw Hereditary. Oh, okay, gotcha. Which directed by, um, Andy. Oh, wait, sorry. Who directed that? I'm looking at it right now. Ari Aster. I don't know. But anyways, mm -hmm. Andy said he saw, he went to an early screening of it and he said it's terrifying. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I love it. I love a good <laughs> horror. Um, a good yeah. horror film is awesome. It's uh, another thing to think about too, like, because um, I love horror too and I really want to make one, but it, it's, you have to be in that state for so long. It's, <laughs> it's kind of hardcore on the consciousness because of, I don't think it is as much as you think though. Really? I guess not. Cause you're constantly being <laughs> pulled out of it. But yeah, yeah, exactly. You're out and you're in, you're out and you're in. Yeah. But, it's, but it's, I mean, it's the it, subject matter though. And dealing with that and constantly like kind of being in that space, I guess it's like, Oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. the headspace at least it's a negative yeah, headspace. Right, so, right. Um, I don't know if I could do it like that. Yeah, but I mean, some of your 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 films have some like darker undertones, but I think that yeah, they're, and the current one is pretty darn scary. So yeah, the underwater, <laughs> it's right? Be yeah, pretty scary. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's very yeah, it's going to be scary, and it's probably scarier than for sure than the signal. So awesome! No, I'm looking forward to that too. How was it working yeah. with Lawrence? I mean, he's kind of a a legend, you know. I think he brings oh, a lot. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he was. Awesome. I mean, I just was learning from him every single day, and he's just such a 
a genuine human being, really good guy. Yeah. Uh, at least in my, you know, I, we, we only had him for like three weeks on the movie. So the short period of time I was with him, he was just always telling cool stories about back in the day. And it was really interesting. And been around uh, for a long time. He's on oh, yeah. Playhouse, I mean, he man. He's telling stories about <laughs> um, being out on Apocalypse Now and working with, you know, all kinds of people. So it was, it was so cool. That's so right. Cool. I forgot he was on Apocalypse Now. That's Yeah. First job, nuts. really. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of just hit it <laughs> at the top. Yeah. You know, it's like it doesn't get better than that film in some regards. I mean, that film's in a whole different yeah, I watched the one of the things that was a sobering film for me to watch when I decided I was interested in really wanting to take my film career seriously is watching The Heart of Darkness from Francis Ford Coppola and just like how deep you can go into this if you really must. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's, it's pretty hectic, but no, it's um yeah, that's awesome. I I think I think he brings a lot to the signal because I mean, that's got to feel great to have a cast like that, you know. I think you know your your leads did a great job too but i think lawrence just brings so much to the picture you know i think oh for sure his presence the gravitas and the presence yeah exactly and that just makes your job easier i think wouldn't you say because you're like okay cool do it that's why casting (laughs) is so important it's just so important if you get the wrong person in the wrong role you just grenade into your shit (laughs) yeah it's just you really have to get the right person in the right role What's your favorite part of the entire process? I mean, we're talking because you, you do it all. So from the writing process into the filming, the casting, to the editing, to grading, to vis effects, to sitting in the theater. After I guess it's done. my favorite, favorite is shooting. I mm. think my favorite is shooting. I like that moment when you're shooting, and you know, you got something and it's like you just got it and it's sealed away and you know, it's something you and a bunch of other people created. It's like, that's the most magical part. Yeah. Um, it's really fun. That's my favorite part. There's such a high Same. energy and a like the day disappears. You literally get to work, you start going and suddenly you're going back home to go to bed. And it's just like, Whoa. <laughs> I that love that. Happen? And then the energy and you're just flowing and yeah. time is flying. Yeah. When you're on set and things are going, it's like 10 hours, just like a wink. It's, isn't that crazy? Oh, it's wild. Yeah. Um, I love that really part of wild. it though. I, that's one of my favorite parts as well. It's, it's just so, it's so cool to see how things kind of transpire in that energy. I, I have the same. Mm-hmm. I really, I really appreciate that part of the, of the overall process in regards to cameras and stuff. Um, when you let's say for the signal, for example, cause it's the last one that's released. Uh, what's the kind of, what kind of gear did you guys decide to do and, and why like camera body and lenses did you decide to to use and is there a certain focal depth that you enjoy most or um range i mean that you enjoy most i um we used panavision i I grew up working at panavision basically yeah um i worked as a tech for like 10 years or eight years or something and um so we used panavision lenses and then we used uh the you know they gave us such a great deal um on a pair of alexas i believe so we just went with the alexas um it, it wasn't specifically because we wanted Alexa that badly over a red or anything like that. It just what, you know, that's what we could get. And, um, Alexas are great had, though. Yeah. Yeah. They're amazing. They're amazing. It was a great much range. Like 15 steps or so, something, a dynamic range. Yeah. Great dynamic range for sure. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, on that one, you know, I just, I tried to stay, we had a couple of cool anamorphic lenses we would shoot. And then I had a 5d with the magic lantern hack back in the day that we would also put, you know, for certain shots we'd use, uh, for like intimate memory type things only because it was so easy to move around and go yeah. steal. We stole a bunch of shots on that movie, but, um, the, the, you know, like I, I like lenses that are really wide, but are set closer focus. So you can get like right up in somebody's face. Yeah. Really so what's, hard what's your favorite combo color. then? Like I like a 35 yeah. millimeter close focus on a full frame. Um, so yeah. 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 Because then you're just able to like the world, it feels more like how we see and think of the world where it's like, you see this big wide angle, Yeah. but like you focus because I don't think people think about this, but your, your brain is your focus, you know, like mm. when in life, even though when you're looking out into the room, or you're looking outside and you see all this stuff, your brain has decided to usually focus on something, whether it's something in your head and you're not seeing the world anymore, or you're looking at a leaf on the ground. And so you're focused, you're thinking about that leaf. Yeah. Um, that's what a camera's focus is. It, it's putting perspective on the world, you know? And so that's why I love close focus lenses because you can really set a focus and have that great depth but also be wide and feel the world just like in life. And so I really love that stuff. And I think that's what Chivo is doing a lot of right now where he's on super wide lenses with really shallow depths of field. And it just feels cool. It feels like big and, you know, cinematic. Yeah. But, you know, especially when you crop it down too. What's that? Especially when you crop it down you do like the two, three, five or two, three, nine or whatever aspect ratio and you cut the tops and bottoms off, it kind of does move it into feeling like a 50 almost because yeah. of that that crop the way it does to you but yeah, yeah. I, I think a 35 definitely for acting and i mean the thing is the face warping is kind of annoying but um yeah but if you get like um i guess you guys use t-stops right for when it comes to cinematic lenses in comparison this is the same kind of thing as using like a terminology for f-stops i think but just different yeah same thing di- different I, I think i still call it an f-stop i just call it a stop but yeah. on my current film we shot 65 millimeter hmm and again, we stayed on a 35 mil lens, which is is a lot. It's a lot wider. Uh, it's a lot wider than a 35, but the yeah. center distortion is something more like a 50. Hmm. So you can be really wide, really far up on somebody's face with very little distortion, and it's it's really beautiful. That's sick. So that's, that's what, where I think it's all going. But that's like so. Um, so. So let me get this right. So you're using a 65 mil lens, like IMAX, like huge. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Gnarly. Okay. Oh, the no, sensor. The lens sensor. Is, uh, the, the sensor. 65. 65 millimeter sensor. Yeah. Huge sensor. Huge sensor. And okay. A 35 millimeter lens. So you're going uber wide. Huge. Yeah. Okay. Damn. But it that's doesn't awesome. feel weird. It doesn't that's feel true. like. Think about it when you when you you know, look at your iPhone with tiny little sensor. Yeah. It feels huge and wide, right? Yeah. Um, but when the sensor is huge, like 65 millimeter wide doesn't, even though you're seeing so much, it doesn't feel weird. It doesn't, it sure. feels human eyesight. Yeah. I think it's, isn't that, uh, that's what, um, uh, Nolan uses right? Isn't he using that? Probably yeah, about that yeah, size. And his films feel so massive. Yeah, you see, Dunkirk? but he's able to. You know, that's the thing. It's like think about the perspective. Like, if it's a small chip, 
then there is going to be a lot of warping outwards yeah. as you're wide and you go in close. But if it's a big chip, it doesn't have to warp that much to sort of capture the whole face, you know, yeah. because it's so big. So cool. Um, I don't know. That's what it's, it's all about. So yeah, it's when I awesome. go like, and I take cameras to Burning Man and stuff, I'll take hmm. yeah full frame sensors and things. And yeah. What do you, what does, do you normally shoot off the hit, off the hit? We talked a little bit about our love of Sony stuff. Do you shoot with Sony now or does it matter to you? No, yeah. Right now I have a, a, is it the A7S? I think I have the A7S. The is two I think you mentioned because you said you're getting some pickups. For, uh, I think A7S yeah. too. A7, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what I have. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a great camera. I mean, it's amazing. There's a couple of shots in the film that were, are on it. So, it's awesome. um, it's, a, it's amazing. The codec's amazing and it just looks awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, up at Burning Man, it's very dusty. So <laughs> I got the protection plan. <laughs> yeah. Watch that sensor and don't change lenses. Just keep that one lens on there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you exactly. shoot with native glass on your Sony camera or do you, um, currently? Yeah. Okay. I have, I like have the Zeiss. And things but um but yeah i just use a um like medium quality so i don't have the top quality sony lens but yeah. if like we're doing a real pickup for the movie then we just get them out and we'll get like a piece of panavision glass or something that's so rad and it's so cool too because it's like you do just get a new mount or a different mount and you need to slap like an, another another piece of glass yeah. on there which is rad yeah we the cool stuff about the sony stuff is it's got that autofocus that is so good mm, you're just yeah. like the autofocus is nasty my first movie it just like would have changed everything yeah it helps a lot i mean it doesn't work for non-native glass so like i shoot i have all canon glass so when you're using video it doesn't necessarily work or it works but it's not very well it kind of i see it it searches a lot but if you do i mean it's at the point where i'll just i would just have to go and rent uh sin glass basically if i when i go to shoot i just like to have the gear to test it as much as i can but yeah it's just a part of the journey though so right yeah Yeah, it's endless endless journey what's new for you we're gonna wrap this up but i just want to know like you know um i know you're in the middle of production on the film that we worked on together which is underwater that's coming out um later this year later this year year. okay end of this year okay awesome yeah excited for that yeah really pumped um so yeah just finishing that up and making music and getting you know uh getting ready to sort of start pitching the next movie after this one and which is sort of a, a bit, another big crazy sci-fi thing. Um, but a really simple story, which is cool. It's just like awesome. really a heartfelt story about like this. Uh, well, I don't want to give too much away about that thing, but working on something cool. <laughs> yeah, and, don't do uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, just, you know, just, I don't know. Just There's so much in the day that I'm like, all right, well, just keep going, you know, like just keep having fun making stuff and, um, it's always like just about getting over the next little thing. So right now we're just trying to finish strong and we start mixing on our current movie in a few weeks. So awesome. that's going to be like three weeks of intensive sort of, uh, audio stuff for the film. And, and then, um, I guess we'll probably be doing a lot of press down the road for that. So there's going to be a season of that, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, the tours. Oh, yeah. School's almost done. So I'm almost done. Like, you know, learning about making a lot of music and I've been making a lot of music. So decided to keep going down that journey and I might take a class at Noman soon, like another, like 
I'd li- I don't know if they have any classes on this, but I want to learn like the Unreal Engine a little bit more. They should. So there needs to be that because I think that's really the future, honestly. Yeah, and I, I want to start boarding in that kind yeah. of environment. Because then you know? you're, 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 you, just, you can throw up a quick block and you could just go in there. You know, you could yeah. go, here's my set. 100%. And then, you, then you're just like, you're killing it. Because you're so like, oh, now bring that light over here and then look at this shot. And then, you know, I do it. I do a lot of my previews in cinema and it's it's fine. It's okay. But um, yeah, it's like, it's almost kind of if it was in the game engine. But then you're almost in that one weird spot where we're right in the cusp of why don't you just make it a game? You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like an immersive experience that's actually involving. I mean, if you look at the involvement of people in video games in comparison to say like a film, it's the, the writings on the walls, the numbers, everything adds up. I mean, it's the video games. If you call them that their experiences, they're, they're far surpassing the traditional story of like a a film basically. Right. Like in regards to just numbers, basically not saying that one's better than the other. It's just the sheer draw of what one art form does to the other. And I think a lot of it's just because of the involvement that people have within those spaces and how fun it is to be engaged like that too. So totally. totally. I, I, but I personally really enjoy seeing the vision of another person that, you know, especially if the vision connects with me or, or it teaches me something, you know, I, that's, that's, I kind of, that's the point of watching a, a film from an auteur or something, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's a nice balance, but man, thank you so much. I, I'm just super oh, no, stoked man, that we finally, awesome. we finally made this happen. So I really appreciate it. And, excited to hear your music and see kind of what, what you've <laughs> yeah. been up to and uh it's pretty crazy it's yeah. pretty crazy well, i'm stoked to hear that um, yeah. glad you're keeping for busy. sure man for sure awesome uh, what are you doing next uh up next uh, i'm working on my high tension horror short film the two to three minute thing just um and i have uh, a few projects i have been working on my next cgi project which is really fun it's gonna be about a minute i think Oh, cool! Um, evolving this thing, I'll send you some 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 shots of that. I think you're gonna dig it. It's just <laughs> awesome. super weird RT guy stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I need to contact that guy. I got to email that guy you were talking about with the graphics cards thing. Just yeah, that's kind of what I'll get back into next, especially as I start pitching my next film. Is like getting the art out and doing all that jazz. So it really helps, I think. And and there's so much power in our hands now, especially within like. The GPU rendering scene is just getting so out of control. And then like if you really have a knack for it or you have somebody that, um, you know, like let's say you're doing previs or planning for your film or something like now it's like for me, it's like I can pretty much create anything that I want. It's a matter of like how much time do I have in the day, you know, so. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, exactly. that's the biggest hindrance. But like there's the, the only thing holding us back is ourselves, I think. Um, I think you would agree too. It's like, because you, you're you manifested your own reality, so you know it's like we all we don't we can just control our own manifest destiny basically, and we have there's no excuse basically. Like cameras no are incredible; they're incredibly cheap now, so just go out and shoot. Um, the, you can Da Vinci's free, it's just like an incredible grading program. It's like yeah, yeah. Adobe software, you get all of it for like fifty or a hundred bucks or something. I don't know. It's like it's so cheap. Um, a month I know. Or something. There's it's like, nothing stopping you. Let's just put it that way. Exactly. And the only thing stopping you is yourself. So, but yeah, yeah, for me, it's just a matter of just continuing and trying to find that balance between. I'm working on some really huge client works with massive people and. 
really thankful for that. And I'm getting to the place where they're just saying like, here, Ash, just go. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) You know that. I mean, I mean, you go through that because it's your job. So it's it's but it's cool to be there, you know, and just to to be in that space. And what my I think one of my big goals is uh, to basically do what you're doing, you know, is to be able to be a film uh, maker for a living and really just kind of focus on that and creating new IP and doing it with friends and and having a good time doing so and learning all the, the craft and it makes for a really filled life, I think. Um, it's never ending, really. So Never ending. That is the key. Never <laughs> it's never ending, exactly. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much. Well, I really Dude, thank it. you so much, Ace. Um, um, it's my pleasure. So. And there we are, everyone. Big thank yous to William for coming on the show and sharing his time with us this week. You can find links to the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectivepodcast.com slash 182 along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. Have an amazing day, everybody. Go out there, be powerful, be prolific. Peace out, everyone.